Well, here we are, January 16th, 2022, already halfway through the month, and still a bit unsettled, I'm sure. I know that some of you thought you had your weekend all sorted out, and then out of the blue, your employers changed their minds, didn't they? Beloved, change is always unsettling. It's confusing, even, which is why it is a good thing we worship a God who does not change. Amen? He's our steady anchor in every storm, and He is our rock when the winds of change beat down upon us. So, which way is the wind blowing in 2022? What does this year hold in store for us? Will things get worse? Perhaps. Will things get better? Maybe. I don't know. But the Lord knows. He knows it all, doesn't He? And He governs it all in His perfect wisdom. Beloved, the Lord is on His throne, and there never was and never will be any threat to His kingship and rule and authority. And because of what Jesus did, our God is for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, who always intends to do us good. So hold on to that truth, beloved. It will guard your hearts and give you peace in the days to come. Change can and often does mess with our minds and our emotions, which is why we need to regularly hear from the Lord. So please open your Bibles, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in this chapter, I believe, are contained truths that we need to hear if we are going to remain faithful as a church. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 20. Let's ask the Lord for His help as we look to His Word. Let's pray. Father, we confess that You are faithful in all Your works, and there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Lord, show us the glory of our Savior as we look to Your Word so that we might be empowered to do all that is pleasing in your sight. Give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow as we feed on Christ, the bread of life. In his name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, when I was grappling with a complex theological question, a wise old man, a friend of mine, reminded me of something that I had forgotten in the moment. He said, son, the answer to every theological conundrum is found at the cross. And he was right. And friends, this is why the Lord so often commands his people to remember, to remember his words and his works. And so in the New Testament, we hear words like these. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Or, think about 2 Peter 1, 2. I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them 
and are established in the truth that you have. Beloved, Scripture is clear that every disciple, even the godliest one, needs to be reminded of Christ and His gospel. We need to be reminded because our sinful nature leads us onto the path of forgetfulness. We are easily steered away towards self-sufficiency and self-righteousness instead of constantly confessing our need for Christ and trusting in His power for our sanctification. It is foolish and arrogant to think that because of age or great Christian experience that we don't need reminders. This passage warns us that we do. And so I want you to picture the scene. This is where we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy begins like this. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So the people of Israel are on the threshold, on the brink of entering the promised land. But we also know that Israel should have entered the promised land much earlier, 40 years earlier to be precise. We know that they rebelled against the Lord after being intimidated by the inhabitants of the land. You can read about that in Numbers 13. When that happened, they even accused the Lord of evil intent. Imagine that. They accused their Redeemer, the one who heard their cries and brought them through the Red Sea. They accused the one who led them by His presence. They accused their Savior who spoke to them from Sinai. They accused the Holy One who made His dwelling place in their midst in the tabernacle. They accused the one who invited them to worship Him through sacrifice. Look at chapter 1 verse 27. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Because of this, the Lord judged them and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire unbelieving generation perished. And now after all the men of war had perished from the camp, the Lord miraculously gave them military victories over two kings, and then He graciously began to lead His people into the promised land once again, this time under Joshua's leadership. And right before that happens, here, through Moses, the Lord once again reminds His people of the law, of His commandments. And God says, trust my words. Trust my words. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Keep my commandments. Do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples. This is your covenant obligations. This is how you love the Lord. And so Moses gives them the words of the law again. That's, the, that's what the word Deuteronomy means in Greek. Deutero means second, and nomos is law. This is a retelling a reminder of the covenant that the Lord made with His people. And after reminding them of the Ten Commandments, Israel is told these famous words, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. After reminding the people of the Lord's promises and his faithfulness, after reminding them of how God set his love on them and redeemed them, how he did for them what he did not do for any other nation, after all of that, he exhorts Israel that he would abundantly bless them if they kept his commandments. You see that in Deuteronomy 7, verses 12 to 24. They would be blessed above all the nations. And then we get to chapter 8. He warns them not to forget the Lord when they enter the promised land. You see, Israel would be tempted to forget the Lord in the land, not because they would have many trials just like they had in the wilderness, but because they would have an abundance of earthly comforts and provision. Now, why is this passage relevant to us in 2022? Well, because whatever happened to the people of Israel happened as an example for us. Whatever happened to them was written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And so, beloved, this is our history, and we must learn from it. Learn in such a way that we can be encouraged and endure in our faith. And the first lesson we can learn about this kind of forgetfulness that the Lord warns against, the first lesson that we can learn is that it is sinful. It is sinful. Look at verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. These are different ways of, of talking, of describing the Word of God. And notice what the text says, take care, be careful, see to it that you do not forget the Lord your God. Friends, this is a call to be watchful. <clears throat> and that means to remember the Lord and His great redemptive work ought to be something that we must deeply care about. It ought to be our chief concern as a congregation. Men, as heads of your homes, you are responsible to do this. So take the lead, set an example. We see this being commanded to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. You shall teach them. He's talking about God's words. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Friends, what kind of spiritual atmosphere do you have in your home? Is it a place where your children or even a member of the church can maybe be reminded of the goodness of God and His saving grace to us in Christ Jesus? Is that the kind of atmosphere you have? But this forgetfulness that he's talking about is not what we would call absent-mindedness. No, this is profoundly sinful and rebellious. Notice how the people of Israel would be tempted to forget. Look at the text. Take care lest you forget the Lord. How? By not keeping, not obeying His commandments, His rules, His statutes. You see, I like to think that because of what Jesus did for me, because I have been bought with a price, that I will never forget my Savior. I will never let Him down. 
And I'm sure you feel the same way too. We're all like Peter, aren't we? So sure of ourselves. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Remember what Jesus said? Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. How did Peter respond? Oh, um, maybe I should think about having this much of confidence. That's not what he said. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Matthew 26, 33 to 35. And we know how that turned out, don't we? Even before Peter's denial, before the chapter is over, we read this in Matthew 26, verse 56. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All of them. Like rats. You see, when Scripture speaks about forgetting God or denying Him, it's not referring to a loss of information as though our memory of God has evaporated. No, it speaks about more in terms of, it speaks about it more in terms of an abandoning of loyalties. An abandoning of loyalties. Now, conversely, that means remembering God is not merely recalling facts about Him, but it's trusting those truths and acting in accordance with those truths. That's what it means to remember Him. Friends, our love for God, our faith in Him is always demonstrated in obedience to His Word. And that means identifying with Him following Him even when the path that He marks out for us is hard. But when we don't esteem Him in our hearts, we don't obey His Word. We forget Him by disobeying His Word. So when the psalmist describes Israel's most famous sin, the golden calf incident, he describes it in this way. Psalm 106, verse 20 to 21, they exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. When you disobey God's word, you forget Him. Beloved, when you hold a grudge, when you are bitter, when you refuse to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you, just as the Spirit commands you to in Colossians 3.13, you hold on to that grudge, you forget God. When you give in to sexual immorality, whether in thought or action, instead of fleeing from it as you are commanded to in 1 Corinthians 6.18, you forget the Lord. When you dishonor, disregard, and disdain your husband instead of respecting him as you are commanded to in Ephesians 5.33, you forget your Savior. Think about that. These commandments that Moses is speaking of, they're all the words of the covenant that had been given to a previous generation in the past, and now Moses reminds a new generation of those very same words. And he tells them, take care that you do not forget. Don't do what your fathers did. And if you were to ask, well, what what did the fathers do? What kind of 
testimony did the previous generation have? Well, all you need to do is look at Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Look at Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Not a good resume, is it? And so these reminders are necessary. Friends, the greatest privilege that you and I have is this ministry of reminding one another of the words of God. And we are called to do this every day because we are a forgetful people, brothers. Not only do we need to hear God's word to be instructed in His ways, not only do we need to be taught the obedience of faith, but it is also God's word, remember, that transforms us by the power of His Spirit into the image of His Son. This is how we grow spiritually and build one another up. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. Or let me put it in the words of Jesus Himself. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now keep in mind the setting in which the people of Israel demonstrated their unbelief and rebellion. Remember, it was the wilderness. That was a hard place to be. That was a hard place to be. And every time they didn't get what they wanted, you remember what they did? They grumbled. They grumbled, didn't they? Their profession of love for the Lord evaporated. Deuteronomy 9 verse 8 says that they provoked the Lord to wrath. Now when we, when we hear that, you might, we might feel a, a sense of righteous indignation towards these Israelites and think, oh, these awful people. How could they act like this when the Lord saved them and led them and cared for them? But friends, if you could go back in time and interview one of these Israelites, if you could ask them why they failed to keep the Lord's commandments, you know what they would do? They would blame their circumstances. They would blame their circumstances. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we, we didn't have water. We didn't have food. You know, at least in Egypt, we ate free fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Numbers 11.1 one says they complained about their misfortunes. Imagine that. Their misfortunes. That's the way they thought about their situation. And in Numbers 11.6, they said, we've got nothing to look at except this manna. And yet, friends, think with me. Isn't that what we do when someone points out our failures, our failures, our disobedience? Hey, brother, you seem a little disconnected from the congregation. Are you meeting with anyone? Are you discipling Anyone? Are you being discipled by anyone? Oh, pastor, you, you don't know what it's like to have my job. It's terrible. You don't know what it's like to deal with difficult people. If only he knew. You don't know what it's like to be in my situation. The problem is my wife. The problem is my husband. The problem is my demon-possessed children. My parents are the problem. The problem is the government. The problem is that 24 hours is not enough. I mean, you know where that, that kind of reasoning will take you, don't you? The problem is God. 
It's because the Lord hates me that he saved me and gave me this miserable life. And so we think, uh, if only we had better conditions, then we would faithfully obey God. And God's answer to that question is, no, you won't. Friends, you don't have to go beyond the first three chapters of the Bible to show you even in the best of conditions, we will forget God. Now these Israelites were moving towards better conditions. They were about to enter the promised land and God says, be careful not to forget the Lord because better conditions, here's what they will do. It will make you proud and that will lead you to forget me by disobeying my word. And, that's, and, and here's the second lesson we can learn about forgetfulness. Number one, it's sinful. Number two, it's the result of a proud heart. Look at verses 12 to 14. Don't forget the Lord by disobeying His word in the promised land. Verse 12, lest... So here's the situation which might give rise to the forgetfulness. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When you have eaten and are full. That's a state of satisfaction, isn't it? You've eaten and you're full. The promised land would give the people of Israel all that they needed and so much more. It was a gift of grace, a blessing for these undeserving Israelites. Look at the description of the land in chapter 8, verses 7 to 10. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. So not just agricultural abundance, but also an abundance of mineral wealth. But this is how sinners often respond to blessings. We respond sinfully. Look at verse 14. When you get all of those things, when your fridge and your storeroom is full, when you have nice houses to live in, built the way you want it, lots of animals on the farm, plenty of silver and gold, plenty of money, then your heart will be lifted up. You will become proud and arrogant and you will forget your Savior. How? By not trusting and obeying His Word. Brothers, just because your situation changes for the better doesn't mean that you will thrive spiritually. In fact, the Lord knows that His people won't. And that's why He warns them to be watchful. You see, the Lord knows our hearts better than we do. And we know how this story ends, don't we? Israel repeatedly gives in to the sin of idolatry and they become just like Egypt. They become just like Sodom. And they're eventually judged and sent into exile. Now, beloved, here's something that's very important for, for you to remember. You are not Israel under the old covenant and in the land. 
The Lord has not promised you prosperity or land in this age. Now, as Christians living under the new covenant, we know that we will suffer opposition and trials and persecution for the obedience of faith and for the sake of the gospel. That's what we are promised. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That's Philippians 1.29. But even, listen carefully, but even if the Lord in His mercy... Even if the Lord in His mercy gives you a vehicle or a bigger vehicle, maybe a bigger apartment, better salary, children you've been praying for, healing, even if you get all those things, remember those things don't have the power to make you love the Lord more. If they could, Jesus did not have to come. You see, the whole point of Israel's story is to teach us that we can't keep God's commandments because we don't want to. Do you get that? We don't want to. The law only exposes our sinful, stubborn hearts and condemns us before the Lord. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, even before Israel inherits the promised land, Moses predicts that they won't be able to keep God's word, that they will be sent into exile. You see that in Deuteronomy 30, 1 to 3. He predicts the exile. But friends, here's the good news. God said that He would once again show them mercy and restore His people. Now, how is He going to do that? Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see what's going on here? The law teaches us to anticipate a new work of the Lord. It teaches us to anticipate a new covenant, a new exodus, a spiritual exodus from our bondage to sin. Friends, we need a Savior to give us new hearts that truly fear the Lord and truly love Him and truly trust Him and truly obey Him. You see, righteousness was never meant to come by the law, but by the promise. The promise given to Abraham, that salvation blessing, and specifically the blessing of the Spirit who gives us new hearts. That blessing would come through Abraham's singular offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that in Galatians 3, 21 to 22. You see, Israel's failures did not stop God's redemptive plan for His people. No, in the fullness of time, He sent His Son, the true Son, the only Son in whom He was well pleased, and this one took on flesh, and He kept the law, and then He offered Himself as a sacrifice to end all sacrifices, and He took away our sins through His death on the cross. He died for sinners, and then He rose from the dead to give us new hearts by the power of His Spirit. And He did this for all those who would turn from their sins and put their trust in His perfect obedience. Those who would put their trust in His perfect obedience to justify them before God. Friends, this is how we are saved, by a righteousness apart from the law. A righteousness that comes by faith through Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us that if you are Christ's, if you belong to Him, if you're in Him, 
that you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's Galatians 3.29. There's no separate plan for Jew and Gentile. We are both saved through faith in Jesus and are members of his body, the church. And this is why, friends, that we can read a passage like this through the lens of God's great plan for salvation. And we can see the exodus is a type of our salvation. And the promised land is a type of the new earth, of the glory that awaits us. And like the people under the old covenant, we too need to be reminded as we wait for the return of Christ who will usher in the fullness of the age to come. We need to be reminded of the dangers of forgetting God. You see, to have earthly comforts, that's a wonderful thing. It's not sinful to have a comfortable life. But be warned. Be warned so that you don't become proud. As disciples of Jesus, we can rest assured that our sins have been forgiven, that the Spirit dwells in us to help us fix our eyes on Christ's saving work in His Word so that we will endure. And this is why we need to regularly remember the Word of Christ. And that's the church's task, isn't it? To preach and teach the Word. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So we have this great privilege of teaching and preaching. Friends, this is the foundation for Christian traditions. To remember the word so that we can keep it. This is why we've been given visual pictures of the gospel in baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is why we have family devotions and discipleship meetings with one another. This is why we have book readings and hymn sings and carol singings and Christmas traditions and Bible verses on our walls and a church covenant. Why? So that we do not forget. So that we can exhort one another and stir one another up to love and good works. This is why we are given in God's wise design all those one another commands in Scripture to instruct and counsel and encourage and serve and love one another. Israel was warned. They were warned that in times of plenty, they would be tempted to forget the Lord who sustained them in hard times. They would be tempted to forget what the point of those trials were. Look at verses 15 to 16. Moses says, watch out. Your pride will cause you to forget the Lord who led you and fed you. Look at verse 15. The Lord led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. That's a fearful experience. Just think about that. Full of uncertainties. With its fiery serpents. Now that's something that the Lord himself sent to judge them for their sins. You see that in Numbers 21 verse 6. This is when they looked at the manna. And do you know what they called it? They called it worthless food. And so God sent fiery serpents and scorpions. These were unique dangers to their lives in the desert and thirsty ground where there was no water. This is a lack of basic needs. What's he saying? He's saying that the Lord led you through many dangers, toils, and snares. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock, a miraculous provision 
You can read about that in Exodus 17. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. Yet another miraculous provision given to us in Exodus 16. But why? Why did the Lord do all these things? And the answer? That he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. You see, even though they had accused the Lord of evil intent, Moses reminds them that the Lord who redeemed them has always has good intentions in the way that he sovereignly leads and ordains all their trials. Why? That he may do you good in the end. But what's that humility that he's talking about? What is that humility that he wanted them to learn through the tests of dangers and lack and discipline? And the answer is given to us in chapter 8, verses 2 to 6. So just look above a few verses, chapter 8, verses 2 to 6. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That was the point, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. What's the lesson? That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. How did the Lord humble them? Through testing. How did he test them? By providentially letting them hunger. Why? To see what was in their hearts. This is why the Lord tests us. Friends, you can sing gospel-saturated songs. You can be busy in ministry. You can show up for every gathering. And you can fool yourself into thinking that you really love the Lord. But you know what will really expose your heart? What will really expose your theology? Suffering. Trials. Lack. When he doesn't provide you with a spouse. Or a child or a promotion, or a better lifestyle, not enough groceries, that's when you'll know what's in your heart. The Lord will expose who or what you are really worshiping. But we want all those things, don't we? We want the UAE lifestyle. But brothers and sisters, that's not a new temptation. That's what led to Israel's downfall, wanting to be like the nations around them. Friends, you must understand that the point of hard providence is to expose our sin so that we can deal with it. So don't waste your trials. Know that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you for your eternal good. The text says, God let them hunger. And he said, I'll provide you with the food. And he did that to see whether they would trust in his word and obey him. 
Well, what word was that? He said, don't gather on the Sabbath. Trust my word. I'll provide for you. What was the point of that? To make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, the last two years have brought us considerable hardship. This was for our humbling, our testing, to expose our real fears and to see whether we will trust in God and obey Him no matter what. And friends, that's a lesson we need to learn in order to get ready if, if the coming year should bring us a new challenge, the challenge of comfort. And even if it doesn't, it's a lesson we need to learn anyway in order to be sanctified. Beloved, can you see how the Lord took care of His people? Even the little things, their clothing did not wear out, their feet did not swell. Trust in His Word. Obey Him. He'll take care of you. Don't let an empty wallet or a starving stomach or the fear of disease cause you to forget God, to keep you from obeying the Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, we are told how Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus, the true Son, the true Israel, was reenacting Israel's history in his life. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the text tells us that he was hungry. And Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You don't really have to do this, you know. That's what he said. There's a way around this. There's always an alternative to obedience. There's always an alternative to obedience. But what did Jesus say? It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus did what Israel failed to do. The true Son of God, the truly humble servant of God, was obedient to the will of His Father, and because of that, He purchased our salvation. Friends, the hard days prepare us for the comfortable days should the Lord give us those days. We ought to reflect often upon the past, on the hard days, on how the Lord has cared for us, on how He has caused us to grow spiritually and marvel at His grace. I hope you'll go home today and reflect on how He has led you and convicted you of sin and drawn you closer to Him over the last few years. This will help you guard against the pride of life and the pride of possessions. This will teach us to remember that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, the Lord wants His people to know that comfortable days will bring with it its own challenges. Every Christian needs to be certain of two things. Every Christian in this room needs to be certain of two things. Here's what you can expect because the Lord loves you. He is with you and He intends to do you good always. Number one, every day will bring with it its own troubles to expose our hearts and to test and see whether you will forget Christ and live for yourself or whether you will obey Him, whether you will trust in Him, trust in Him to sustain Him and care for you no matter what the consequence of that obedience might be. 
Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Put that on your calendar. Every day has its own set of troubles. That's a given. According to that verse, that's a given. Number two, in Christ, God will give you the grace that you need for that day as you remind yourself of His words, the words of eternal life, the words He's given us in Scripture. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23, but this I call to mind. What does that mean? I remember. I remember. And therefore, I have hope. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Put that on your calendar as well. Every day has its own set of troubles. But I'm in Christ and it will be well with my soul. It will be well with my soul. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer... Friend, you can know God's love in this way. You can know and experience His tender care, His grace, His forgiveness, and the joy of delighting in His Word if you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. Come to Christ and you will know the steadfast love of the Lord. Here's a third lesson we can learn about this kind of forgetfulness. Number one, it's sinful. Number two, comes from a heart of pride. Number three, it's the result of a self-sufficient heart. It's the result of a self-sufficient heart. Look at verse 17. Here's another condition in which the Israelites would forget God. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You know, it's hard to think like this when bread miraculously falls from the sky. No one's going to claim might and power when something like that happens. It's hard to make this claim when all your fighting men have died and a ragtag bunch of bricklayers overthrow two kingdoms. It's hard to say in your heart, my strength, my hard work has brought me this wealth when God sends plagues on Egypt supernaturally convinces the Egyptians to give the people that they are kicking out whatever they want to take. Take what you want. Take all our gold, our silver, whatever you want. The text says they plundered the Egyptians. It's hard to claim my strength and my might when that sort of thing is going on. Do you know when it's easier to make this kind of claim in your heart? When God is not doing the miraculous. When He works through ordinary means when you go to work in the fields day after day, you sow, you irrigate, you harvest, you sell, you accumulate wealth. That's when you'll be tempted to make this claim. Brothers, beware of a self-sufficient heart. Beware of godless thinking. Everything we receive, everything we accomplish, everything we gain, no matter how insignificant you might think it is, that's because of the Lord. It's because of the Lord. So, are you doing well at work? That's because of the Lord. 
Is your wife pregnant? That's because of the Lord's kindness to you. Did you get a raise? That's because of the Lord. Were you in a tough situation and the church ministered to your needs? That was the Lord's doing. Did you sleep well last night? That was because of the Lord. Ladies, how, how was dinner? Did it turn out as you anticipated? Did your hard work pay off? Thank the Lord. The Lord is working whether you know it or not and, is, and it is an obligation of love to honor and acknowledge and thank Him for it. We all have this sinful streak within us to take just a little bit of credit to say what verse 17 says. My power, my might have gotten me this wealth. Oh, but we don't say it in that way. We, it comes out in different ways. The reason my children are such fine Christians today is because we raised them well, you know. We raised them well. Never miss church. Always had devotions. All good things, all necessary things. Some of them even commanded. Where is God in all of that? My power, my might have gotten me. Or perhaps some ladies might say, Oh, pastor, don't talk to me about my husband. You know, if it wasn't for my sharp accounting skills, my excellent home management, my discipline, my planning and execution, we wouldn't have any savings. My power, my might has gotten me. Beware. You know, that's the sort of thinking that will lead to a hard heart and breed disobedience. Your self-sufficiency will ruin you. One of the marks of a self-sufficient Christian is that he or she does not pray. Nor does he give thanks. Nor is she willing to express her struggles. Nor is he willing to talk about his needs or ask or receive help. Israel was taught by the Lord to denounce all such kind of self-sufficiency. Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Moses says that the solution to such, such a kind of heart is to remember the Lord. Remember him. Look at verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Friends, God is the one who enables you. He is the one who gives you the strength. He provides you with what you need. He orders everything in your life. He works in the heart of your employers. He orders everything. He governs your investments. He upholds the universe by his word. That's why even though we get up and go to work, and slog and get our paychecks we had better be praying Lord give us this day our daily bread have you not learned that we live and thrive by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord but why did he grant the people of Israel that power that power to get wealth. Look at the text. Verse 18. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is.
this day. What does that mean? It means that God was keeping His promises. God was keeping His promises. Everything that God did in the lives of these Israelites was to fulfill the promises made to their fathers as it is this day. And what was happening that day? They were about to enter. They were about to inherit the promised land. This is why they were to remember because of the faithfulness, because of the faithfulness of His word. So live according to His word, beloved. Think about what this meant to Israel. They needed to remember that we are not righteous. We don't deserve this. God is giving us victory over our enemies and He is bringing us into our rest. And it is that story that ought to fuel our obedience. Think about what this means for us, beloved. We ought to say we are not righteous. We don't deserve to be saved, yet God in His grace has ransomed us. By grace we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been saved by the word of the cross. Christ has won the victory over Satan and sin and death and he is bringing us into a good land, the promised land, a heavenly country, the new earth. So remember his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, do it all, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's Colossians 3, 16 to 17. But what happens? What happens if we don't? Well, if we don't, we will share the same fate as unbelieving Israel. And that brings us to our fourth and final lesson that we can learn about the dangers of such forgetfulness. It leads to idolatry and judgment. Look at verses 19 to 20. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. You see, this is where pride and self-sufficiency in the midst of a comfortable situation will take you to rank idolatry. For Israel, it was the gods of the nations, Baal and Asherah and Moloch. Our gods have different names. Control, power, comfort, independence, Approval, work, money, sex, family, culture, relationships. See, what Moses is describing here is forgetfulness, disobedience to the word that has progressed far, far down the road. This is unrepentant forgetfulness to which we hear this warning. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish Verse 20, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. In other words, judgment is promised for forgetting God. And judgment did come for Israel. Moses is saying that the judgment on the Canaanites that was going to come was in itself to be an object lesson for Israel. The same thing will happen to you 
if you continue in unrepentant sin and disobedience. Beloved, this is a warning that we should take to heart. Because the judgment that fell on the Canaanites is a picture of the eternal judgment to come. When Paul speaks of the dangers in, of continuing in sin and pursuing the works of the flesh in Galatians 5.21, he says, I warn you as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And beloved, this is why we need to hear that old, old story of Jesus' redeeming work so that we can be empowered by His Spirit to obey His voice. It's an interesting phrase. Obey His voice in verse 20. What does that mean? See, obeying His voice in verse 20 is parallel to verse 11. Commandments, rules, and statutes. You want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. This is how we hear His voice, by reading His Word. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Friends, remember that the Lord gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself and submit to His Word, and He will give you the strength to follow Him. Don't wait. Don't wait for your circumstances to change. Oh, don't do that. Be faithful now. Be faithful in the hard times so that you can be faithful to Him when times change. Don't wait for your circumstances to change. Be faithful to Him now when providence is hard so that you can be faithful to Him in times of comfort and plenty. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that you are the fount of every blessing. And you know what we need. You know our hearts. You know what we need to draw us closer to you. Father, enable us to see your loving and sanctifying purposes for our lives in every situation, in every season. Teach us obedience and true humility and give us the courage to stand strong. Hold fast to us, O Lord, and bring us safely home where we will forever sing of your redeeming love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.